Now it's a sad lesson that we all learn fairly early in life when we discover that people lie. People exaggerate. People spin the truth. And uh, they tend to overpromise. And um, then we discover that we're just the same. <laughs> we also lie so easily and exaggerate. And we get used to that. And what we've got to remember about our Heavenly Father is that He is truth. He doesn't lie. He doesn't exaggerate. He doesn't over-promise. What He says is what he means, and it can be utterly and totally relied upon. And that really is faith. This is where we start here. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is. I mean, we could just stop right there, you know. There's a whole hour's sermon on just those three words. Now faith is. Faith is a present tense. Faith is always now. You cannot rely on, it's no good having said, well, I had faith in those days. I had faith at that time. If you don't have it now, it's availing you nothing. And faith sits in the middle. We look back to what God has promised and we look ahead to when the fulfillment of those promises come and in the middle, now faith is. So we've got now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is all about the invisible. You don't have to believe for the things that are sat there in front of you that you can see and hear and handle and see. Faith is about what's coming, what is not yet visible, but what is still received in your heart and certain and sure in your heart. Why is it certain and sure in your heart? Because God has spoken. Essentially, faith is based on the very nature of God. You've got to believe that God is true. You've got to believe that he is reliable. You've got to believe that he doesn't exaggerate. And he's, he's, what he promises, he also will do. That's the essence of faith. And we, we read here from verse 6 that faith is utterly essential. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, honestly, if we're not pleasing God, what's the point of any of it? Faith is completely essential in terms of a relationship with God. If we're going to build any kind of relationship with God, then we have to be men and women of faith. Otherwise, it's just based on, well, I don't know what it's based on. We already have encountered this in Hebrews. In Hebrews 6, chapter 1, faith toward God has already been listed as an elementary principle of Christ, the ABC of God's word. There are six of them listed there. Make sure you know them. Make sure you're familiar with them. But number two there is faith toward God as well. And that gives us that immediate orientation about our faith. It is Godward. We look Godward with our faith. Hebrews, uh, not Hebrews, Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.4. I don't know if you've ever done a balloon debate with the books of the Bible. If you put the, the, the writers of the Bible in a balloon and you say, okay, we've got to get rid of one, 
Who could we spare? Who could we chuck out? And you might think, well, Habakkuk, I, what, what do I know about Habakkuk? What did they ever do? Well, Habakkuk 2, chapter 4, Habakkuk says, the righteous will live by faith. Faith is something to live by. Live by faith. Live by faith. And you know, that verse is quoted, that verse is quoted directly four times in Scripture. We've got it in Romans 1.17. We've got it in Galatians 3.11. We've got it again here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. It's right there, just a few verses before the beginning. This is, that's the segue into why we're talking about faith in chapter 11, because he quotes it there. We've got 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. That's the difference for you and I. That's the difference for the righteous. That's the difference for the Christians. We are living by faith, not by sight. It makes a whole difference to your total mindset. This is what Paul says of himself in Galatians 2.20. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I love the, how personal that is and how tender that is. I live my life by faith. But it's not just by faith, it's faith in the Son of God. And it's not just faith in the Son of God, but it's in faith in the Son of God who loves me and has demonstrated that by giving himself for me. That's a great testimony to have. Look in the mirror in the morning and repeat that to yourself. I live by faith. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. That's a great place to start your faith. You see what I mean about faith being essential to a relationship with God? If you read James 2.23, you'll find that Abraham, this is what James says of Abraham, Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. The friend of God. And who was he called the friend of God by? By God himself. That's in Isaiah 41. He says, look to Abraham, my friend. What a, what a, what a testimony. What a statement of, I mean, just imagine that. God saying to you, hey, look, look to this person, my friend. He's my friend. She's my friend. You want to be a friend of God? This is it here. This is the way. Faith. Remember that. Faith leads to friendship. I think if you're thinking about faith in terms of um, it leads to friendship, it's based on, you know, it's about relationship with God. It's based on a knowledge of who God is, that he's loving, that he's true, that he's trustworthy. That's the place to start your adventures of faith. That's the way to think about faith. Another way to start then here, we've got it here. Verse 3. Let me read this out to you. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, we understand. So we're talking about where faith begins. This is the chapter on faith, and the first thing he talks about is creation. Now, hear me carefully. I think 
today we can set aside debates and arguments about evolution we can set aside debates and arguments about the age of the earth or whether it's six days of creation those things we can set aside what you cannot set aside is that the universe comes into existence because god speaks it into existence you've got to believe that you've got to believe that god is a creator and he calls into being that which does not exist he speaks let there be light and he calls that light into being this is really i think um, one of the there are two kind of essential things to believe about god um, if you're gonna if you're gonna live a life of faith and that's the first one that god speaks things into existence the things that don't exist he calls them into existence and that everything around you this material physical world in which we we live and in which you know with which we are so occupied and preoccupied all of that exists because almighty god calls it into existence i'm gonna turn to revelation revelation chapter four so in revelation chapter four the beginning of chapter four a door opens in heaven and the apostle john hears a voice that says come on up here and i will show you the things that must shortly take place so you know we've made that leap into the heavens and what's the first thing that john sees he sees a throne a throne set up in the center of the universe everything else is proceeding from that and what's going on around that throne is worship and there's two forms of worship going on first of all chapter 8 the four living creatures each one of them having six eyes full of six hands and within and and within and day and night they do not cease to say holy 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 is the lord god the almighty who was and is and is to come that's going on all of the time and what are they worshiping god about what are they what's that worship it's about his self-existence it's about the fact that he is the ever living god this is yahweh this is i am who i am he doesn't need anything he doesn't need he just doesn't need he just is always was always is and always is to come self-existent not dependent upon anything and then we move to verse 11 where we find that the 24 elders are there they seem to spend all of their time on their knees casting their crowns before the throne and this is what they say worthy are you our lord and our god to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things and because of your will they exist and were created they're worshiping god because they're saying everything else is dependent upon you every the existence of everything else everyone else is all dependent upon you so we've got that's who we're that's who we're believing in okay that's who we're depending on so when god makes a promise that's the one who's making the promise that's why we're dependent upon him that's why we listen to that promise that's why that promise sinks into our heart and this is what we've got here in romans i'm going to go backwards and forwards to romans chapter 4 quite a bit as well so if you want to find that do because this 
is what Paul teaches about, about Abraham and his faith. Romans 4, 17. He believed God who gives life to the dead and calls into being. That which does not exist. That is a great phrase. Two really big things there. He gives life to the dead. He gives life. Everything, all life proceeds from him. He is the life giver. He is the source. He is the original cause and origin of everything. And he calls into being that which does not exist. That was Abraham's faith. We're going to get back to Abraham in a bit. So, so this whole chapter then here, this whole chapter, what, what um, the writer to Hebrews is doing is addressing this question. Having, 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 set, you know, having gone through quite carefully and, and you know, a very reasoned argument that we've been following through several weeks about the fact that the old covenant is now superseded by a far better and greater new covenant. And by chapter 13 of Hebrews, that new covenant has become the eternal covenant. There's not going to be another one, all right? <laughs> Having set all that lot up, you're then left with the question, well, what do we make then of all this Old Testament? What do, what do we do with it now then? What does that mean to us? How do we relate to that? And there are some Christians around who will say, you don't need the Old Testament at all, just the New Testament. We only need the New Testament now. We're in the New Covenant. We just need the New Testament. That's all we need to go with. There are some Christians who say, well, actually, it's not just the New Testament. We just need the Gospels. That's all we need, the Gospels. And some who say, we just need the words of Christ. In my Bible, the words of Christ are in red. So they're saying, we just need the red text. We don't need anything else. Well, if you read the red text, you'll find out that Jesus says, no, you need it all, actually. He says that in uh, Matthew 5, 18. He says, not a jot or tittle of the Old Testament is going to pass away. It all stands. It all remains. And indeed, in your New Testament, 2 Timothy three sixteen, Paul is teaching Timothy and says to him that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God might be fully equipped and ready for every good work. So we do need that Old Testament. So how then do we relate to it? What we've got here in Hebrews 11 is that the writer of Hebrews is setting out the great examples of faith, the men and women of faith in that Old Testament. And they're set out and their examples there for us today, for you and me to be encouraged and lifted. We've got 18 of them lift, uh, listed here in Hebrews. Just going to get back to Hebrews 11 again. So we've got, in order, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. They're your pre-Diluvians, all right? And we've got Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now, they're all before the Old Covenant, okay? They're all before the Covenant. Then you've got Joseph, no, no, then you've got Moses, Joshua, Rahab. And then I'm going to read from verse 32 here, where we've got another list here. He says, Time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, 
Barak, Samson, Japheth, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Well, time will fail me if I go through all of them as well. <laughs> I have to be conscious of time. We would go for a month and a half, wouldn't we, if we started going through those. But I just, I really want to say to you, you need to know who those people are. You need to know your Old Testament. You need to know why these guys are in this hall of fame here of men and women of faith. What is it they believed? Why did they believe? Why did they receive that approval from God? Why was their faith credited to them as righteousness? Get to know these guys and get to know their story. If your devotions are running a bit dry and you're thinking, oh, what am I going to do? You know, what book am I going to get for the new year now? Think about, seriously, think about just taking these 18 guys or 17 plus the prophets, which is a little bit broad, isn't it? Um, and just going through. Get a concordance and find out where are they in the Old Testament? What is their story? And also find out, because some of these guys are also mentioned in the New Testament, and find out what the New Testament says about these guys from the Old Testament. That's always really important to get the New Testament commentary on the Old Testament passages. But do that. They're all there. I challenge you to do that. You've got to know their life stories. Right, let's read, read, read on a little bit more. Verse 33. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. Who was that? Right, and he didn't mention Daniel, did he? So he's going on more. He's one of, the, one of the, the prophets, I guess. Shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Could you think where that was? Ah, you've got to think about it. Yeah, there's at least three, two in the Old Testament there. Yeah, go find out. Who were these women then who received their dead back by resurrection? Others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Who was sawn in two? Ah, you'll have to go looking for that one. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted and ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy. <coughs> Excuse me. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Oh dear. <coughs> to edit that bit out. <coughs> I just want to point out to you this is the big famous chapter on faith. You've just, I've just read that to you. There's not a whole lot of uh, health, wealth and prosperity in that final list there, is there? Thank you very much. <clears throat> it's just worth noting that, okay, guys? These people who were pleasing to God... And, and living by faith, actually they were dealing with some pretty bad stuff there. That's where your faith gets tested. That's where, that's where living by faith is pleasing to God. There's not a great deal of, you know, having three cars and living in a mansion and, you know, it's not there. It's just my little bit there. 
but they gained approval. They pleased God. They were friends with God. <clears throat> now, I am going to pick up one example. We're just going to look at one part, in fact, of one example. Abraham, you'll see, gets a pretty decent mention in this chapter. So we're just going to look at the faith of Abraham. <clears throat> so back to verse 8. Well, let me just say that um, <clears throat> Paul in Romans 4, sorry we're swapping between the two, but Paul in Romans 4 encourages us to follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham. I love the alliteration there. Follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham. So let's have a look at some of those footsteps. Hebrews 11 verse 8. <clears throat> by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Faith to follow. Faith to follow the Lord Jesus. Faith to follow the leading of God. See, we can say the same, can't we? Each one of us. We've been called. We obey. There's stuff to leave behind, isn't there? When you become a Christian, there's stuff to leave behind and, and keep left behind, yeah? There's a price to pay, isn't there, when we become a Christian? We leave stuff behind. We walk away from things. And where are we going? Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, we'd all love that golden tablet from the, uh, you know, following an angelic visitation, wouldn't we, that says, this is your life. This is what's going to happen. You know, we don't know. We don't know. We're following, but we're not knowing where we're going. That's living by faith. That's Abraham's faith. That's following in the footsteps of our father Abraham. Verse 9. <clears throat> by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. So, by faith he lived in the promised land but he didn't settle there he lived in a tent and uh, indeed he passed through and came back at, at stages as well and yet God had promised him God said to him this is the land that you will inherit to you and your descendants I will give this land now living as strangers and aliens do you have faith to live as strangers and aliens you should live as strangers and aliens. It says in Peter, Peter says to us, Beloved, I urge you to live as strangers and aliens in the world and abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. You need to have faith to say no to the fleeting pleasures of this world, even though you're going to be an heir of this world, even though you're going to inherit it, right? It's coming our way, guys, right? But not yet. Not yet. We need to live as strangers and aliens. That's great if you're a science fiction fan like me. I like that. Live as an alien. So we, see we need to have faith to say no to the fleeting pressures of this life because we're saying yes to inheriting something better, something eternal in the life to come. So can you do that? Can you have faith to live that way? It's a completely different mindset. It's a totally, totally radical change. You're not just here 
uh, to live in the here and now um, and to, you know, just take what you can. It's not a case of eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's the way unbelievers live. They want to take what is the maximum available to them now from this life. But we don't have to do that. We don't have to live that way. We can endure hardship in this life because we know we've got better coming. And why do we know that? Because it's promised to us. And so when we believe those promises and we live in the here and now, now faith is, we live in the here and now because of what's promised for us in the future. It changes the way that you live, changes the way you think, changes the choices that you'll make day by day, changes the things that you say and the things that you don't say because you're living with that expectation of something else. You know that this little bit of your life is preparing you for an eternity to come. That's a completely different mindset. Most people do not live that way. Okay, I'm back into Romans uh, 4, and I'm going to read what uh, Paul says about um, Abraham's faith, because this is also a great description of faith. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Right, he'd been promised a son. He had been promised a son, and he'd been promised a son from his own body. He'd had a go at, uh, you know, working it out himself, and Ishmael was the result. But God comes back to him and says, no, from your own body. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead. You know, I mean, I look in the mirror, I'm not like what I used to be, but I don't know about as good as dead. That's a bit rough, isn't it? He looked in the mirror and he thought, I am as good as dead because he was about a hundred years old. Maybe when I'm a hundred, I'll think the same way. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, she was 90. I mean, just think about it. A couple, a hundred and ninety. And they're believing God for a son. That's, you know, that's faith, isn't it? Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. You can grow strong in faith. That's good, isn't it? That's nice to know. Grow strong in faith. And how do you do it? Giving glory to God. What are you giving glory to God about? That he is self-existent and that he is true and that what he says comes to pass and he's well able to do it and that everything that exists has come into being because he's called it into being. He's able to call into being that which does not exist. He could call into being Isaac, who did not exist. Being fully assured that what God has promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. These writings in the Old Testament are for us. They're there for us today, for you, here, today, now, living in Fordingbridge, living in Downton, living in Redlinch, living around. They're for you today, in your world, in your time. Okay. In Hebrews 11, it says that 
Abraham reasoned that God was able to raise the dead. So he went up to Mount Moriah, ready to sacrifice Isaac, and he had reasoned in his mind that God would raise Isaac from the dead and that through that resurrected Isaac, that promise would be fulfilled, that he would be the father of many nations. That's, that's what he concludes. That's what it says in Hebrews 11. <clears throat> By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, this is verse 17, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Interesting phrase. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants will be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type, as of course a type of Christ. Abraham recognised that God himself one day would send his only begotten son and there would be no ram caught in the thicket and that he would raise his son from the dead and through him many descendants would be named. He recognised, God wasn't asking him to do anything that he wasn't already prepared to do himself. Okay. I'm going to move on. Right, I'm going to talk to you now really by way of a... This is more of a kind of a... This is a bit, bit more of a prophecy really, a bit more of a kind of... I just felt, you know, to bring this message really um, on, on, on the back of this. So, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I just, want, I just felt the Lord would challenge us and say, what narratives are you listening to? What stories are you listening to at the moment? There are different narratives. There's the narrative of the rise in the cost of living, interest rates going up, energy prices spiralling, economic downturn and depression, recession, depressive recession. You can be filled with anxiety and worry and uncertainty. And if you listen to the news, they just know that sells, <laughs> all right? They just want to feed you with fear and worry and anxiety. Um, and I want to tell you, many people out there are listening to all of that and soaking that all in, and it's shaking people and it's worrying people. You can listen to the narrative about the war in Ukraine, uh, the uh, growing imperative for Europe and NATO to intervene, uh, to join the war, to bring it to a completion. The peril about that war going nuclear. You can be listening to all of that. I mean, I actually cut that out. I, I got quite into all of that and I thought, blimey, I'm <laughs> I need to just bear back on all of that. There are other narratives going on. But I want to say to you, build your faith. Build your faith that God will provide for you. Follow, indeed, in Abraham's footsteps. Go and read it for yourself. But in Genesis chapter 22, it's Abraham. It's Abraham on that mountain just after he sacrificed the ram and he's understood all of this stuff. It's Abraham who calls that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. 
Now, we're probably, I say probably, we, you know, we've heard that phrase before, Jehovah Jireh, you might even be able to dance the jig, you know. <laughs> Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his faith is sufficient for me. Right, so look, that's where it comes from. It's, uh, yeah, that's why I'm not in the worship to me. His, <laughs> it's his faith, okay? That is the first of seven redemptive names that you find in scripture, Jehovah linked to something else. It's Yahweh. Abraham has that name Yahweh. We're thinking that that comes to Moses at the burning bush. Abraham has that name Yahweh. What's Yahweh? I am. He knows that God is self-existent and is able to raise the dead and call into being that which does not exist. It's all caught up in that name. There's the first use of that name, Yahweh. Abraham knows that. And he understands, and this is what I want to just convey to you, he understands that when he puts his faith in God, God will provide for me. He's putting his faith in a God who, you know, you and I, we are putting our faith in a God who has already provided for our eternal destiny. He's already seen what our real fundamental need is and he's provided for that before we asked him or even frankly conceived of what we needed to ask before we even recognized our need god has provided for it he's provided for it in his son and so we have in romans 8:32 if god has not withheld his own son from us how will he not with him freely give us all things? So your, your faith that God will provide for you is based on an understanding that he's already provided his son. He's already provided for our eternal needs, for our spiritual needs, for the stuff that we never saw, could never... I mean, what would you know to ask for? He's already provided. And so, if he's already provided that, then the lesser issues about how am I going to pay this electricity bill, they're also provided for. So when you're asking for those, that's who you're asking, that provider, okay? I'm just going to read... Um... No, I'm not. Go and read Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34, where Jesus says, don't worry about where the food's coming from or where the clothes are coming from or a roof over your head. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all of those things, but seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. I want you to go away and read that and just receive the peace of God into your hearts. Just imagine Jesus standing there in the field with the flowers growing and the birds flying by and saying, look, this is your abundant love in heavenly father who's caring and providing for these things how much more does he care for you and just let that worry and that anxiety go that's up to you you've got to follow up on that one i'm going to give you one personal testimony when i was a young man i was up in uh, london living in london um I should have been studying biochemistry, but instead I was going to all sorts of Christian conferences. So, <laughs> um, and, I, and I'd been at this conference um, all about faith and living by faith and God providing for you. And at the end of the conference, it was time for me to go home. It's, you know, night time's a good 
go to London Bridge and get the train home. And I realised my... Now, this is in the days before Oyster cards, all right, or, or mobile phones or anything like that, right? It was really, really old. Um, I didn't have... I, my pass, I'd bought a pass, a travel pass, and it had expired at the end of the month. And this was the beginning of the new month. And so I didn't have authority to travel. And I didn't have any money on me because I was a poor student living on pasta. So I didn't have any cash on me, I didn't have no money. And I'd just been to this conference all about how God's going to provide for you and trust in him and all that. And so I thought, oh gosh, you know. And I just did feel God say, go to, the, go to the station. Just, you know, just, you know, start heading home. So I went to London Bridge, I walked into the concourse there. And I was thinking, oh, maybe there'll be no guards. And I could just, you know, the, the gates will be open and I could just get on the train and, and ride and believe that, you know, I wouldn't get caught. But then, you know, I kind of felt like it's not really, you know, faith in God, is it? You know, I can't really see God operating that way. So as I walked across the concourse, I just felt the Lord say to me, put your hand in your pocket. So I put my hand in my pocket, nothing in there. And I felt the Lord say, no, your back pocket. Put your hand in, put my hand in my back pocket. And there was a beautiful, crisp, new neatly folded five pound note now in those days five pounds could get you was enough more than enough to get me home so i went to the um the, went to the ticket booth you know put the money in put the put the the note in got my ticket had a bit of change quid or two change very sensibly a homeless individual has sat himself down right next to that ticket machine because that is where people have change in their hand right there and then when they get their tickets. So I had changed. So I was able to give him my change and bless him with, well, hopefully a cup of coffee. It might have been a bottle of cider. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> I gave him the money. I just want to tell you the, the joy in my heart when I could show the guy at the, you know, the, the ticket that I bought and I could journey home lawfully and, um, and, you know, and just know my heavenly father had provided for me. I don't know where that five pound came from, but he knew it was in that pocket or he told somebody else to stick it in my pocket. I don't know. But, you know, it's just a very simple thing. And, and also that sense that, you know, when God provides, he provides with a blessing. There's an overflow. It's what you need, but it's also more than what you need. Somebody else gets caught up in the, in the collateral blessing of, uh, of things when your Heavenly Father blesses you. So it's a great, it's a great oh, that's my testimony, just a great lesson to learn. Right, I'm going to skip to the end now. Turned over a whole page there, you know, skipped a whole page of notes there. Right. <laughs> Here is the close. Verses 39 and 40. And all these people, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So all of these great adventures of faith what the writers of the Hebrews is saying is they were looking on for something greater and better and God's purposes was that their faith would not be completed, they wouldn't receive everything that was promised without us. 
That's quite something to take in. When you read of their great adventures, and this then really completes our thinking about how when we read about these guys in the Old Testament, how do we think about them? We have to think about them as great heroes of faith who believed God often with no scriptures at all or with limited scriptures. We've got it all here. And they didn't have the benefit of the new covenant. They were still living under the old covenant. They didn't have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that you and I have got. They didn't have the law of God written on their hearts like we have. They didn't walk in fellowship with the God who loves them and gave himself for them like we have. It's a difficult thing to grasp, but you know, Jesus himself, when his disciples were asking him about John the Baptist, Jesus says, he was the greatest prophet. There was no other born of, born of women that was greater than John the Baptist. That's, you know, that's a whacking big statement to say. And then he goes on and says, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Any one of you and I is greater. We have something greater. We live with something much better than any of them had. That's quite something. And so without us, or with us, they are made complete. So, you know, when it comes to the big party on Resurrection Day, I'm, I'm normally thinking, right, I'm going to check out. Let's go find Habakkuk, because I want to shake his hand and say, thanks for that great verse, chapter 2, verse 4, and chat with him about it. But, you know, the weird thing is they're going to be coming to us. They're going to be coming to us and saying, man, you know, we were so excited to see how well you guys did. Isn't it terrific? And they're caught up in all of that. And all of those guys are right there. There's a great cloud of witnesses in the very next chapter. And Drew is going to preach on chapter 12 next week. So I've set it all up for you, mate. All right. Good. OK, let's end it there. Um, we probably want the worship team up. We do want the worship team up. I'll be more directive about that. <laughs> Let's get the worship team up. Um, let's stand and worship. We have got a great opportunity now, I think, to remember who you are worshipping. The ever-living one who calls into being that which does not exist. And, you know, let's lift ourselves in our faith. Let's encourage one another in our faith, faith to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We're going to take the Lord's Supper as well in a few minutes. I'm going to leave Tom to direct us in that. So.